Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, Church of the Redeemer. It is really great um, to be with you. I spoke to Alan earlier this morning and got to hear a bit of your story again. And um, you guys uh, have an amazing story and a great community. And I couldn't be more proud of you and more pleased for what God is doing in and through you. Well, we read the Great Commission on Trinity Sunday because the Great Commission alerts us to the notion that what is core to Christianity is an immersion in the triune reality, a taking of our life and putting it in the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when we have a text like the Great Commission, it's sometimes easy to think, well, wasn't this text written by 20th century evangelicals? Like, isn't this what they care about? Or we sometimes think that, well, this is a passage for those who are particularly fond of personal evangelism or something. But it's actually something much different than that. It's a major pivot in the long story of forming God's people. We read in Genesis just now that God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then you need to catch these next two words, so that. Those words answer the question, why did God create? And especially, why did he create human beings? So he says, let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule. And this is what some scholars have called the creation covenant. It's where God binds himself to people and asks people people to bind themselves to him. We might put in simple terms just to become his cooperative friends. Now think of your sense of self. Do you get up in the morning thinking, I am the cooperative friend of God. And what makes meaning of my life is not what I do to get a paycheck, though that's very important. Uh, It's not um, any of the kind of typical roles we play in society. Those get included in what it means to be human, but they can't be reduced to it. What it means to be human is to live as the cooperative friend of God in a very self-conscious way. When we get to what you might think of the middle of the story in Psalm 8, There's this lovely passage where the psalmist says, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them, that you made them rulers over the work of your hands? I love the way the message has this. It says, you put us in charge of your handcrafted world. You repeated to us the Genesis charge. So in the beginning, we see that human beings are made to be the cooperative friends of God. Psalm 8 It's reinforced that God has put us in his handcrafted world to be his friends. And then when Jesus explodes on the scene, the very first words out of his mouth explaining the gospel are these. Uh, This is Mark 1.14. The time is fulfilled. Now, why would those have been Jesus's first words in public? The answer is it's because he was deeply aware of arising within a story. He knew that he was arising within the story of God's intention for humanity. And so what Jesus is saying is something like, if you think of this whole story, from the calling of the creation and calling of Adam and Eve to be God's cooperative friends, and then, of course, the fall and flood 
and the calling of Abraham and patriarchs and judges and kings and prophets up to John the Baptist. And then Jesus explodes on the scene. Jesus is saying, I am the final fulfillment of this long story that everything previous to me is now being completed in me. So what we have in the Great Commission is this calling to fit human beings into God's intention. And our simple word for that is discipleship. So if you look at the passage with me, uh, if you've printed it, if not on your, maybe look it on one of your devices or something. The passage has Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's a lot of authority. And you might think, why would Jesus preface something like that? Jesus did not normally talk like that. You know, he was not somebody who was insecure about who he was or how much authority he had. So he's certainly not saying this for himself. What he's saying is something like, I want you to listen to me here because I really know what I'm talking about. And like, this is really important. This is a major pivot point in the story that God is is writing with humanity. And he's saying something like, God has entrusted everything to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God has entrusted this moment to me and my passing it on to you. There's a great scene in Revelation where we see a similar sort of power and authority happening in Jesus. You may remember John sees um, the will of God like a scroll, like a scroll, and it's bound up in these seals. And John looks around heaven, and there's no one found worthy to open the scroll and to make sure that the will of God unfolds. And then you know the story. He sees the Lamb. And Jesus, the lamb, is the one who's worthy to break the scroll, the seals, and to unloose the scroll. So what's happening here is just Jesus, this is for Jesus' hearers, this is for us. So that when we hear the Great Commission, we don't actually hear it as a some sort of plan for evangelism. And we don't hear it as something that's owned by a particular denomination or a particular kind of church that tends to be evangelistic or something. Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say to you is deeply and profoundly fundamental. So then he says, go and make disciples. Well, the Greek term there for disciples is mathetes, and it simply means learners. And so Jesus says, go make learners and teach them. Again, I love the way Eugene has it in the message. He says, go out and train. Note that word train. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near and then note these words, in this way of life. Marking them by baptism in the threefold name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then note these words, instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. Now I want you to hear these words again. Mathetes, again, means student or learner. My favorite translation of it is apprentice, because a student can sound like merely mental and apprentice is more of a whole life, you know, embodied sort of thing. And so Jesus is saying, go out and train people to live in this God story. Train them to be the cooperative friends of God. This is the way of life that I've been showing you. Train them in this way of life. And then instruct them in the practice of all that I've been teaching you over these last three and a half years. So the life described by those words of Jesus is what is meant to be a Christian, to be a disciple or to be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian is not merely to have given mental assent to something or to have joined a church 
To be a Christian, according to Jesus, is to become his student in kingdom living. That it's not merely about a denomination or certain beliefs. Uh, Discipleship, as Jesus is calling for here, is not just for super Christians. And of course, it reminds us that we can't just be spectators or consumers of religion. Actually, this Great Commission has an implicit question in it. And it's one of the most important questions you'll ever answer in your whole life. The question is this, from whom are you learning to do life? Everybody's learning to do life from somebody. Who's your teacher? Who are you a learner of? Jesus is saying here that what's core to humanity, that what's core to being the people of God is making Jesus our teacher. We apprentice ourselves to him in the kingdom that he taught and lived. So the idea here is that we become a mathetes to a rabbi. Now, that ancient relationship of a learner or a student or apprentice to a rabbi, it wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew. In other words, it went way beyond profession of correct belief. Uh, I remember when I started my first church in the late 70s, um, and we were attracting a lot of uh, Roman Catholic kids. And I remember this one girl, I don't remember if she just got caught having sex or if she was found pregnant. I can't remember 40 years ago, but I'll never forget this. Uh, I agreed to go talk um, to her mom with her about what had happened. And I remember the, you know, the sort of shock horror, not, not like a deep anger at her daughter, but this like shock horror uh, look came over this mother's face. And I remember her saying to her daughter in this sort of pleading tone of voice, how could you do that? You were baptized. Now, then again, that happened 40 years ago. And uh, that it stuck with me my whole life, the limits of mere religion. I mean, her mom deeply meant it. She could have added, and you were confirmed. I mean, obviously, people who are baptized and confirmed by the tens of millions go out and live sinful lives. And so whatever's happening here cannot be reduced to mere religion. It's a relationship in which we actually give ourselves to Jesus as his students, not to just know what he did. That's not what followers of rabbis wanted. They wanted to be like him. And that's what that girl had missed up to that point in her young life. Well, I don't remember. She was 17, 18, 19 years old or something. Now she became a student of Jesus, but at that point, up to that point in her life, she'd merely had some form of religion. So when you think of the 12, the first followers of Jesus, they were with him, learning to be like him, learning to do the things that he taught. And so this morning on Trinity Sunday, we're invited to ask the question of ourselves, have I ever decided to do that? Have I ever decided to apprentice myself to Jesus? Uh, Do I have a strategy for learning to love my neighbor and to love my enemy? Those are the things Jesus taught. Do I have a way of doing that in my life? And to do good to those who spitefully use you or to pray for those who persecute you? I mean, what if this morning you just honestly ask yourself, do I even intend to do that? Do I even intend to learn from Jesus how to love my enemy and to do good to those who are spitefully using me? Well, next, Jesus says, here's how you go about becoming an apprentice of mine. You baptize them. Now, this doesn't mean get them wet while saying the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You just, you cannot imagine that what Jesus had in mind here was some sort of church service in which people are got, get wet in some way or another. 
He means to immerse them in the triune reality. Baptizo means literally to immerse in. And so he says, immerse them in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that it's within that Trinitarian reality that we become students of Jesus and kingdom living. Now, we do that through what the sort of masters in spiritual formation say, the sort of saints of these last 2,000 years, that we train off the spot. We can't just sort of gruntingly um, uh, love our enemies or pray for those who despitefully use us. You just can't will yourself into doing that. Spiritual transformation into Christ is a whole life process whereby our inmost being, our heart and will, soul and spirit, begins to take on the quality and character of Jesus himself. This is what it means to be immersed in him. And so to apprentice ourselves to him is not just like a student learning doctrines. It's more like an electrician or a plumber where we say to somebody, you're my master and I want to learn to do what you're doing. It bring, this brings into play the spiritual disciplines. If you've ever wondered what the spiritual disciplines had to do with anything, well, they are a strategy. They're just a little mechanism that help reform our heart so that loving our enemies and doing good to those who despitefully use us is the natural, normal uh, course of our heart. Um, I, I played baseball in college and, you know, follow baseball. And uh, anybody who knows baseball will know that even today, if you go to a major league baseball stadium, underneath every stadium is batting cages. And even in those batting cages, even with major league baseball players, you'll find a tee. And you'll find major league baseball players, guys getting paid 10, 15, 20, 25 million dollars a year to hit a baseball are doing the kind of things that four years old, four year olds do off a tee. Well, why? What's going on? Well, they're training off the spot. So then when up on the field in the late innings, when the game's on the line, they've embodied a way of being so that it's natural to them. And this is all the disciplines do for us is they're just a way of us becoming the kind of people we dream to be. And then lastly, I would say, if we, in the, especially on this Trinitarian Sunday, that if we're going to really apprentice ourselves to Jesus, that it requires welcoming the person and work of the Spirit in our life in a very genuine way. Because the purposes of God in you to be his cooperative friend requires a power that's suitable to those purposes. And then lastly, Jesus gives us this great promise, and surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, how would you cooperate with that reality? Jesus says he's with you. How, how would you go about cooperating with that? And I have a little mechanism. It's not the only mechanism, but it's, uh, it's kind of typical and historic. I don't think it's anything new, but I just commend it to you today. If you really don't have a, a strategy or a, a sort of a way of life for living into this Trinitarian reality, mine goes something like this. It begins in the morning with some, set, some sort of dedication. Sometimes it could just be, Lord, as I go through the day, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, the thoughts of my mind be acceptable in your sight. Maybe it's a prayer, a prayer to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe it's a prayer for noticing. But uh, whatever else I might do, I give myself and my day to the Lord. Sometimes I'll hold my phone because it, it represents my calendar. And I'll just say, Lord, over this day, may your kingdom come, your will be done. Some sort of dedication in the morning. Then as I go through my day, I just practice presence. I have these little grounding prayers that I pray all day, every day. 
um, come Holy Spirit, um, come Great Shepherd. Again, may the words of my mouth, just as I go through my day, I pray these little grounding prayers that bring me back to the notion of whatever I might be doing, I'm doing it as an apprentice of Jesus. And then at the end of the day, I practice examine, um, E-X-A-M-E-N, examine. And this is what Paul's getting at, I think, um, or certainly helps us think about in our passage in 2 Corinthians 13. This is the end of the letter. It's his sort of last, uh, one of his last exhortations to his uh, people in Corinthians. And he says, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail the test, do something about it. Now, I know that examine is not a fun word. It's not a fun word in the doctor's office. It's not a fun word if an FBI agent is standing on your doorstep. And it's not even a fun word in a sermon. But for most of us, it brings up some sort of emotional or visceral reaction to it. But I just want you to know that in Christian spirituality, something very different is imagined in the spiritual life. It's not that sort of uncomfortable being examined. It's us taking on a lifestyle of learning to notice what's real and to become aware and to pay attention to ourselves, our thoughts, our feelings, God, and our neighbor. So Ignatian examine, if you want to look that up when we're done, you can, but Ignatian, an Ignatius form of examine just, seemed, just means to come into us a habit of reflection so that we don't just give in to live in this chocked full, super busy, unexamined life. I mean, Jesus was, lived a very extraordinarily rich and full life and always found time to get out of it, to go away somewhere in private and then go back in public and say, I only do and say what I hear my father saying and doing. Well, how did Jesus know that? Because he, had, uh, he lived a reflected life. So then the vision for being a disciple of Jesus in the manner of the Great Commission is to be trained in a way of life. It's to be instructed in a practice. And so we practice examine just to learn to see God's hand at work in our whole experience. Examine just helps us to detect God's presence and to discern his direction for us. Becoming aware and paying attention is core to Christian spirituality. And then I would just say, if, if a word like examine makes you nervous, to do it like an athlete or an artist. Again, I remember when I was an athlete, I, I loved to pay attention to what my hands were doing in the hitting area or what my hips were doing. Were they flying out too early or whatever? Um, I did it with a kind of childlike, passionate joy. It was never to me a dull drudgery. And so if, if, if practicing and training and being an apprentice seems sometimes to you, if you're honest, a dull drudgery, it's okay. Just admit it. Just go there and ask yourself what's going on, why that's the case. Ask the Spirit to meet you there in your examine, and God will. So just be honest. And ask yourself, you know, do I really want to be a follower of Jesus? Or is there something that's holding me back in religion or tradition? Or am I suspicious or confused about full followership of Jesus? And again, I want to say, if that's where you are, it really is okay. I want you to know that the end of the road called honesty is God. Where your honesty will end is in the presence of God his grace, his love, his mercy, his help, 
And I would say to you, even a divine smile, that when you keep it real, God can keep it real. Well, just before I got on with you, I happened to see a pop-up on my phone where somebody, I didn't get a chance to look at it, um, probably somebody like Gallup or somebody, um, has done a recent study just in the last day or two that shows that 80% of our fellow human beings here in America now believe that America is out of control. And so we come to this Trinity Sunday in a particular context, in this really tough time in human history. And so this morning, having heard afresh this great commission, I invite you to become a difference maker by giving yourself to Jesus as his joyful and passionate student, that you would learn from him how to live your life as he would live it if he were in your place, and that you would do so by taking on his way of life, by becoming his student, and taking up his practices. Amen.